0: Um, furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Amen.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much. Excellent. Um, So we're talking about these two things today that come out of this passage for me. Two essentials for pleasing God, isn't it? There are some people you want to please in life, right? Who do you want to please? Who do you aim to please? Uh, your wife. Um, good Sorry. Yeah, um, Someone said my wife. That's a good answer. Good answer. Yes, one's spouse is always good to please them for sure. Yes. Who else might we want to please? Parents. Wise children seek to please their parents, don't they? Yes. Your boss is often a good thing if you want to stay in your job <laughs> to please your boss, yes. Anybody else? Best Sorry? Best
0: friends.
1: Your best friends, right? Yeah, because you love them. You want to please them, yeah? yeah? Please yourself. Oh yes, okay. Not a bad idea. Look after yourself. There are certain people you want to please, right? Or perhaps more accurately in some cases, some people you really don't want to annoy, right? Your bank manager, yes, your boss, your next door neighbor, you know, uh, uh, one of our neighbors, uh, we, should, we should remain nameless, but one of them, and there's only one on one side and one on the other, but never mind. Um, they recently put up wind chimes in their garden. Now, I have nothing personal against wind chimes. Perhaps you have a wind chime. It's okay to have a wind chime. But the thing is, their wind chime is like loud as anything. It's like they put some amplification in there. And when it goes, when the wind blows, it's not just this little tinkling sound. It's like bing, bang, bong. It's like Big Ben is going off. And they're not even in the garden to enjoy it. They're just just as blown around in the wind and we're, we're, um, we're not enjoying it. So anyway, I love my neighbors, but um, uh, they're not pleasing me at the moment. Uh, however, it must be said, I'm sure on occasion, I don't please my neighbours. There was a time when I was using my chainsaw last year in the heat of the summer, and I was chainsawing some some wood, and I hadn't noticed that my neighbour was was sunbathing right on the other side of the fence. Eventually, Penny, because I had I had a, I had, a, had the ear things on, I had the ear protectors, I had the face thingy that protect me. I didn't know what else was. I was in my own world with my chainsaw. I was having fun with my chainsaw. <laughs> my chainsaw. And, uh, and Penny came and tapped me on the shoulder and made me jump because I didn't know what. And she just, just over that. I had to look over the fence. Oh, poor thing. She was lying there uh, trying to get some sun. Uh, so I, I put the chainsaw down. We, we do annoy people from time to time. It's a good thing in life to please people. But even more importantly, how do we please God? Mm-hmm. And two things we see in this passage, I believe as we continue our series here, because Paul says we instructed you how to live in order to please God. If we've got any aim in life, it should be to please God. So where are we? Uh, the T stands for... What does the T stand for? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And the P stands for... Philippi, somebody apart from the B, The B stands for... Berea. The A for... Athens, and the sea for Corinth. Corinth. Okay, so this is the area of the world we're in, and uh, Paul is down in Corinth, probably, writing to the church back in Thessalonica, and uh, that that have been pleasing God, and he wants to help them to continue uh, to do so. Now, before I go into the detail briefly, you might notice in this section a lot of shoulds, a lot of instruction, a lot of I've instructed you this, I urge you to do this, instructions we gave you. And then shoulds, you should be sanctified, you should avoid sexual morality, you should learn to control your own body. You should not, no one should, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. More instruction going further down and urging on a final at the end, you should mind your own business. And I just want to say this, in general, going around telling people what they should do it's not usually a good tactic to inspire them and motivate them. And we need to be careful about this, right? Parents with our children, if we're all the time, we're saying, you should pick up your shoes, you should tidy your room, you should do your homework, you should, it gets old and it gets burdensome. Now you may not be wrong, may not be wrong, but it it can be a bit much. And I find it interesting that Paul has such a relationship with the Thessalonians of trust, I believe, and acceptance and gratitude that he knows that when he tells them, here are some things you should be doing, they're going to receive it in the right spirit. And it's rather interesting. So in our fellowship, just as a a side point, but it stood out to me as I read this, it's generally not a good idea to go around telling each other what we should do. But there are times to help each other to remember what we committed ourselves to and to call each other to the right things in Christ. There's a balance and a blend there, which I haven't got time to go into in detail, but I think what Paul is doing here, he's trying to help them to make sure that they don't get complacent and that they remember that they have room for growth because he talks about doing these things in verse one, more and more. So the space for them to grow, he's spurring them on, but he's doing it in Christ because in verse two, he says, I'm giving you these, I gave you these instructions by the authority of the Lord Jesus not his authority, not the authority of an apostle, not the authority of a former Pharisee, not the authority of someone who's actually physically met Jesus, but he says, I'm doing this, and I did all this in the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so that's where he's coming from. So let's talk about two things I see today uh, as we uh, hopefully are hopefully enabled to please God more and more to the point of overflowing. Overflowing can be a bit messy, but it's rather nice to be in a place where there's more than you need, isn't it? So for more and more. First thing. God-pleasing purity. All our songs today, pretty much all of them, have the theme of holiness. There's a reason for that, because we're talking about holiness today in this passage. He says, it's God's will you should be sanctified, made holy. Avoiding sexual morality, learning to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. and Not impassionate lust like the pagans, don't take advantage of people. Uh, God called you to live a holy life in verse 7. And if you reject this, you're not rejecting man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There's a lot of holiness going on here. So when I say, when I say we're dealing with purity, God pleasing purity, and it's important for us to have God pleasing purity, when you think of purity, what comes to mind? When I talk about that word or that idea, what comes to your mind? What do you think of when you think of purity? What comes to your mind? A gemstone. A gemstone, a pure gemstone. Purity innocence. That's a good word. Yes. Clear, clear water, pure water. Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary. What was that one? Baby. A baby. Pure baby. Hmm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Purity. Any other thoughts? Crystal clear water. Crystal clear water. That freshness to it, especially when it's cold. Yes. Yeah. Something singular, a, a really narrow, clear focus on something, right? Just that one thing. That's that pure one thing. Mm. Anything else? Purity. What does it mean? What comes to mind? Breeze on a mountain top. A breeze on a mountain top, blowing away whatever else is going on in mind and, and spirit. You know, um, I often think about uh, about snow. Pure as the driven snow, right? That that before when it snowed, it's outside, and before anybody's walked on the snow. There's something pure about that. God-pleasing purity, because in that culture, two thousand years ago, immorality was as part of the culture as it is now. Frankly, um, this phrase I like by a chap called Leon Morris: it, continence, as in self-control in sexual in the sexual realm. Continence was regarded as an unreasonable demand on a man. Like it's unreasonable to expect somebody to be sexually uh, controlled. That was the the feeling of the time. Uh, Tom Wright says this in his commentary on this passage. Pagan temples regularly doubled as brothels, and sexual practices of all sorts were at least tolerated, if not actively encouraged, within the society as a whole. So I'm guessing here, but I think I'm safe in saying that when you came to church today, you weren't expecting to find prostitutes here actively soliciting, and there were beds in the back, you know, ready for everybody or booths, and you weren't expecting that, I guess. But if you were a worshiper in first first century Thessalonica and you were a pagan, that's the kind of environment for you to worship God meant to indulge in sexual practices outside of marriage. That was kind of normal. The word used here is porneia, which uh, is there in the Greek, and that means any sexual activity outside of marriage, particularly what the Bible sometimes calls fornication or sex outside marriage, Uh, but it includes any sexual activity that the Bible does not condone and does not say is healthy. So what's the right attitude? The right attitude here is he says, he says, uh, avoid it. Avoid sexual immorality. You could say to flee from it. You might think of this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, Flee for from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body, uh, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies, our bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so we get to the most significant part of what I'm going to talk about today, and the most perhaps the most challenging, living in a world of sexual promiscuity, and not only people around us, but the media we are exposed to. the temptations to sexual impurity are very strong. And I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but I don't suppose I very much doubt that any of us can go through the entirety of our Christian lives without struggling and perhaps uh, sinning in this area. I'd say it's almost impossible not to, not to give any excuse exactly, but it is so challenging in the environment in which we live. But we have to understand that purity is something something about who we are. It's not just about something we do or don't do. You might think about Joseph, right, in the Old Testament. What did he do when he was uh, approached for sexual favors? He went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. She, that's his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. This is the kind of attitude that Paul is urging on the Thessalonians here. Run away, run away straight away, run away as fast as you can and as far as you can from sexual temptation alone committing sexual immorality she come to bed with me she said well he left his cloak ran out of the house because that got him put in jail you may remember if you know the story right Uh, I don't know if they exactly uh, looked like that uh, but it's a bit cheesy that picture but you know he's he's I'm out of here I'm out of here I'm not sticking around I am gone and so my brief point on this today is this I bring, this up not, I bring this up with some trepidation, actually, as a topic, because it's such a prevalent challenge, and because it is, a, it is easy to feel guilty, and to feel, and especially if some of us have struggled with this over the years, it can bring up bad memories of things that happened either as a Christian or even perhaps as, as not a Christian. But what, the reason for bringing it up is because if we don't now and again talk about it here, and if we don't talk about it amongst ourselves, What are the chances we're going to keep pure? As much as we talk about faith, as much as we talk about God, as much as we talk about other aspects of the Christian life, if we don't talk about our purity, aren't we kidding ourselves if we think, no, that's all right, we're just going to stay pure. It's not going to be a problem. If Paul had to bring it up in the first century, then of course we need to bring it up now. And so I bring it up now, Perhaps in a way to give us permission to discuss with each other our own purity. Having conversations. Not not accusations, conversations. And maybe volunteering it. Here's how I'm doing. Here's how I'm feeling. How are we dealing with our self-control? Learning to control your own body, not in passionate lust like the pagans. Key phrase, who do not know God. Why bother to control yourself if you don't know God? but we do. We have a relationship with him. We are loved by him, and therefore we wish to be as pure as we possibly can. So the second thing that I see in this passage, other than God-pleasing purity, is God-pleasing love. Or we might say God-taught love, because that's what he says here in verse 13. Uh, Not verse 13. Taught by God. I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why. Chapter 4, verse 9. You were taught by God to love each other. That word taught by God is that word which doesn't exist elsewhere in Greek. It's not anywhere else in the Bible. It hasn't been found anywhere else in Greek literature, at least not in that period. It looks like Paul made it up. He's like, how am I going to get across the fact that we learn to love from God? Okay, I'm going to make a word up which is basically... God taught, God teacher, he taught us. So he makes this word up, and this is how we know what God, what love is, right? We know what love is because God has shown us what love is. And it connects for me, rather with this passage in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, talking about the next age. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts, I will be their God They will be my people. God's going to teach directly. That's what's going on here. Now, we are very blessed that we have God's word in our hands. We are very blessed that we know what love is. We only know it because God has taught us, demonstrated it by Jesus, of course, coming and living the way he lived and dying the way that he died. And so they are urged to love each other in the way that God taught them and to do it more and more. And here's the thing that stands out to me. I mean, a number of things here, but the thing just for today uh, I'd like to share with you is the thought that he says, you do love all of God's family, verse 10, throughout Macedonia. Yet I urge you to do so more and more. Throughout Macedonia. So you looked at that map earlier, right? And we maybe we might actually just go back to that map. So Macedonia is, is this going to work up there? Let's see. No, it's not really working. Okay, so Macedonia is the northern half there. There are at least three churches in Macedonia, and by this time, almost certainly more. And you may remember earlier in the book of Thessalonians, Paul, Paul says, your love has become known everywhere. Their love has become felt in other congregations. And there's something here for me about how important it is that we don't get in a silo as a church. We don't get into a box as a church. Now, we need to love each other with a Christ-like love, or else we can't show it to anybody else, and that's where we start. But there's also something about loving other churches, other congregations. And I wonder whether that's something for us to think about as a congregation here. How do we love other churches? Do we express our love for other people in other churches? Do they know that we care? Do we pray for people and other congregations? Are they on our heart and on our mind? It's not just about us here, is it? We're big, something, something much bigger than us. God is doing something much bigger than just us. So what about other people beyond the local church? Um, next Sunday, I won't be here. Uh, as some of you will know, I'm at a conference here uh, about Gen Z, um, uh, Generation Z, uh, sort of 10 to 30 age range, roughly, I mean, more or less in that age range. I go to that conference to learn what a Gen Z person is and hopefully how to communicate and connect with them, and uh, which I have no idea really. So I'm 62, so what do I know? But <laughs> I'm gonna go and learn some things with a bunch of other people, and a conference is in Oklahoma. I've never been to Oklahoma. Uh, I, I don't know anything about it, but I'm gonna go. And we have a sister congregation there, and um, I'm gonna be there for worship uh, with them on Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. And then I had, I was corresponding with a friend of mine who's over there, and uh about seeing him for lunch because he's a good old friend of mine and he said would you preach for the church in oklahoma i said well i guess i mean i don't know i don't know anybody there so he talked to the church leader there and he rang me we had a good conversation lovely fellow called ben and uh, he said yeah yeah please preach for us so i thought i thought i was getting a sunday off but um it it appears not um i don't know if i'll ever be in oklahoma ever again I don't know if there'll be any any further connection between me or us and a church in Oklahoma. I have really no idea. But what I thought about when I got that invitation is I thought, this is an opportunity to do something like this, is to let my love and our love spill over somewhere else. I hope to bring the love of the Waffer congregation to Oklahoma. I hope to bring some of their love back here because it's important that we remember that we're connected. We are not isolated. We're not on our own. Could you pray for some other congregations? Pray for the church in Oklahoma, maybe, or some other churches that we are connected with on some level. Obviously, we have a connection with Thames Valley that many of us know. Uh, We have a connection with the the northwest part of the London church that many of us come from. Some of us are from other places in the world. We have connections. Are we praying for those people? Are we in touch? Do we phone them, drop them a line, let them know we care. It's important to connect more broadly than just us here in the room. More and more love. You do love all of God's people throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Then he has a few instructions. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business, work with your hands. Manual labels frowned upon in those days. He's like, you have gotta look after yourself. Don't depend on other people. So your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. You will not be dependent on anybody. It might be, as we're going to look look next week at the, or next time rather, I preach on this, on the second coming, it could be that in that church there were some people who were like, Jesus is coming back any moment soon, so what's the point in going to work? They don't go to work and they're like, well, he hasn't come back yet. I'm a bit hungry, so my Christian friend, would you mind feeding me? You're still working, which of course is very unspiritual, but nonetheless, I'm a bit hungry, so would you please... Maybe that's going on, and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Be ready. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, But in the meantime, look after yourself. Don't bring disrespect on God's church by not looking after yourself the best way you can, not being dependent on on other people. Don't be a busybody, but uh, take responsibility for your life. So, to wrap up, and then we'll take the Lord's uh, Supper together, some things to think about. Some things to think about. Let me get back to where we're meant to be. So, getting back to, yeah, running away. God-pleasing love is god taught. That's why we read our Bible and pray, so God can continue to teach us. It's why we talk to each other about our lives and faith. Um, let's reach out beyond our borders to other places. And let's remember this scripture, which I read earlier, but I want to focus on this bit before we pray and then take the Lord's Supper together, which is this. Why, why do we value purity? Why do we value that and why do we respond to the call to be pure? We respond because Jesus was pure and is pure. He is and continues to be the only human being who was ever completely pure. And he brought his purity to earth so that we could share in it. And he died on the cross so that we could enjoy it. He had that perfect relationship with the father That is possible because of his purity. And he donates that, enables that, provides the channel for the same thing for you and me, that you and I can have a relationship with the Father because we have the purity of Christ. Why would we want to damage that? Why would we not do anything we can, including being honest about our struggles, to preserve it? Jesus was pure, is pure, and gave himself to purify us. At the price of his life. That's why we do what we do. That's why we value it. That's why That's why we'll do whatever we can to maintain our purity. Garf's gonna come up a great it.